From La Trobe Asia and the Australia India Institute, this is India Rising. I'm Matt Smith. In this podcast miniseries, we'll be looking at India, how it works, how it doesn't, and how it got to be the country that it is today. For the final episode of this mini-series, as ever, I'm joined by... I'm Robin Jeffrey. I'm an Emeritus Professor of La Trobe University. Episode 7, Archie Dean. When Narendra Modi and the BJP won the election in 2014, he did so under the campaign slogan of Archie Dean, Good Times Are Coming. So did good times come? With an impending election, we give Modi a report card. This is India Rising. Archie Dean Aniwalehan is uh, the good days are coming. Yeah, put put yeah. us in office and things are going to get better. So it's a snappy election slogan. Very much. Uh, in the tradition of all, let's make India great again kind of snappy election slogans. But the term Archedin has taken on a, a life of its own, it seems, after that election. It's come to symbolise everything that's Modi's promised, hasn't it? I, I think so. And that's the problem with any good election slogan. People look to see it redeemed afterwards. Sure. Yeah. And uh, critics of Modi will now say, well, where we, you've had where, four years. Where's the Archidin? You, yeah. you promised the Archidin. Yeah. Where is it? Since India's got an election coming up in 2019, which Modi is in a very strong position, I thought we'd do a bit of a report card about how he's been doing with his with his Achidin, with his good days. Are the good days here? Has he delivered on it? Or is he going to need to find a new campaign slogan? So a big part of what Modi promised when he came to power was that he was going to, uh, to, to reform the economy and uh, take India to being an economic strength. And we've seen efforts to do that, like the introduction of a GST, and also, I suppose, in its own way, the uh, demonetization and the getting rid of a big chunk of the currency to try and clean up the black market, uh, whether you think that was successful or not. On your Modi report card, how would you say his economic efforts have been? I think they'd have to say the greatest success would be to get any kind of GST, goods and services tax, up. It was quite an achievement because mm. it's got a number of very difficult qualifications and exclusions and so on. But nevertheless, to get a common tax for the whole country ultimately has got to be good for the economy because it would do two things. It would make trade across India's state boundaries and municipal boundaries easier. And it would also raise revenue that is otherwise being missed mm. because it would capture a lot of transactions. The downside of that is, of course, it captures the transactions of the poor and the poor have less to transact. Mm. So 10% of 100 rupees is going to mean a lot more than to uh, an ordinary person than 10% of 10 million rupees. Uh, I guess that's, that's always the way with the GST, though. It's, it's taxed equally across everyone, yeah. no matter how much money you have. Yes. Now, the compensation in India would be that a lot of local taxes are supposed to be removed, so that in theory, the poor would not be better off, but the people with more money who spend more money, uh, they are going to be captured in ways that they weren't being captured before. Now, I think it will take a couple of years to see whether that really brings into the national treasury the kinds of rewards that people are hoping for. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt that there are large, better off sections of India who have, particularly in the rural areas, who have been escaping a fair taxation. But it sounds like 
Uh, Modi can can call that a tick in the economic box for well, it's an achievement. Yes, it's an, it's an achievement. Okay, yeah, they, well, you heard uh, it here, folks. Stamp of approval from Robin Modi. Yeah, reducing corruption. There's been no major scandal amongst his government as far mm. as corruption goes. Yeah, I think that, Modi. That's that's quite an achievement. There is the question of the French fighter planes, which is bubbling along and has been bubbling along for six months. That's deemed to be uh, subject to scrutiny, that there's been improper conduct in the awarding of that contract. Well, how about if I do a tick in pencil, just a tick in, in case? Pencil, <laughs> just yes, in case. Yes, yeah, yeah. Certainly the appearance is uh, favourable, but that, of course, is characteristic of the whole Modi government in Delhi, that appearances are very important to this government. Appearances of success, of good websites, of lots of messages coming from diverse sources in the social media sphere. Well, let, let's talk about a good website. How's, how's Clean India going? That's a very impressive number on their website. I've got here uh, sanitation coverage 96.29%. Yes. 25 open defecation free states. Well, There's only 26 states, man. That's, yeah, that's yeah, pretty good. They, uh, they are, I'm, I'm ticking that on your behalf. Yeah, well, it, it, <laughs> certainly, it certainly looks good uh, on the website. I suspect there have been some major improvements in places that are very visible. And I, I'm sure that a great many uh, rural toilets have been built. Probably quite a few urban toilets have been built. But, of course, the test will be, are they used? How were they built? And will they be used in 18 months' time? Mm, and mm. with the Clean India campaign, I would certainly give a tick for any prime minister who was prepared to take this on, saying this is something we need to correct. Modi's, as far as I know, the first of the prime ministers ever to be photographed willingly wielding a long broom. Yes. Now, his, his technique may not be good. It may be a little need of a bit of practice and brushing up. But nevertheless, brushing he's up. Out. I see what you did oh, there. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought of that. He's been out there, not only showing himself with the broom, but also getting anyone who wants his blessing to wield the broom too. So movie stars and uh, prominent figures in public life mm. feel an obligation to do this. Now, it's symbolic, but it is, it's an attention grab. It's leading by example. It's well, leading, so. to a certain extent, leading yeah. by example. Uh, we haven't yet seen anybody in that famous, famous portrait of Gandhi dressed as a manual scavenger mm -hmm. with the short broom in one hand and the scraper in the other hand going to take uh, human excrement out of dry latrines. We haven't seen any of the leading figures doing that. Mm. But then manual scavenging has been illegal for more than, for more than 25 years. So how, how is he approaching bureaucracy then? Uh, there's been a, a stoush in recent times about the independence of the remaining independent mm. national institutions. Yeah. Is that a concern? I think that does go back to the cultural agenda. There were three... Some would say four institutions that had some sort of national uh, respect and reputation. One was the Reserve Bank of India, where there have been questions about the independence. There's been an attempt to bully the Reserve Bank of India by the central government. Mm. Now, that's not peculiar to the BJP. That's happened in the past. You want your central bank to do things that are going to benefit you politically. And the RBI and the government seem to have worked out the current dispute. The second of the respected institutions is the Election Commission of India, which still does an absolutely magnificent job. To me, it's the outstanding international quality institution. The Election Commission of India runs these huge elections efficiently, 
fairly, they've been empowered to use central police to ensure peaceful activities, they've been empowered to instruct state governments and local legislatures and politicians on what they may and may not do in the course of a campaign. Mm. And the Election Commission, I think, has been largely left alone. The controller and accountant general, the national government auditor, is another one that has, I think, largely been left alone up till now. These are the three the one that has been in the recent news towards the end of 2018 is the Central Bureau of Investigation, the Indian equivalent of the FBI. Now, the CBI has been politicized for years. Indira Gandhi would use the CBI. So it's not an institution that commands the same respect as the other three, mm. but it has a, a stoush going on between its director and deputy director and with the government in the background about charges and counter charges of corruption. And what this means is that what should be the national investigative body, the peak body for major crimes, seems paralyzed. And uh, how that will play out is very important. What's required, of course, is a much more independent and protected CBI that is protected from government influence. Mm -hmm. I think we're unlikely to get that. All politicians love to have the National Investigative Agency more or less predictable and capable of using it against their opponents when, when that seems opportune. So these national institutions, every government has tried to influence them in some ways. It seems to me three have been outstanding in maintaining their integrity and they're great representatives of what India uh, achieves in certain circumstances. Other institutions, I think, particularly the cultural ones, are being thoroughly infiltrated by uh, BJP supporters. Those institutions are going to retain that quality for a long time to come, even if there were to be a change of government next year. A large part of what Modi was promising was uh, increased infrastructure and uh, lots of building projects, which at the same time would drive along employment, which was another thing that he promised. So how do you think he's going about rebuilding or just building India? Electrification would be another one of the major components, yeah. particularly a component of Achedin to electrify rural India in a, on a reliable every home basis would be a huge achievement. Just simply on the level of, I remember reading um, how literacy levels went up when houses got electricity and you know you were able to read properly at sure. night you suppose education will flow on from that and just you know quality of life improves yeah. well the, there so. was an old joke when the bakranangal dam in punjab was completed in the late 1950s mm. and that was intended and did electrify a lot of rural punjab and haryana the joke was that the birth rate fell but i think it was only a joke Today, the importance of electrification is it lets you run your mobile phone and your smartphone mm -hmm. because we're now up apparently to half a billion broadband users in India, most of it through mobile phones. That wow. is, the smartphone now has got to the point of half the population, or Close. it's about 40%, yeah. I guess. It's an awful lot of broadband users, and they need to charge their phones. Of course, uh, yes. And, yeah. uh, when you're using, probably a, the cheaper the mobile, the shorter the battery life, so the more demand for mm. electricity. So is he doing a good job of getting electricity out of those houses? Then? There's a huge electrification campaign going on in some of 
of the Indian states. Yeah. Uh, Uttar Pradesh had a major drive almost on the same lines as Swachh Bharat to mm. electrify every village. And I think if we go on the web, we'll see that there are claims that virtually 90% of rural India is now electrified. Now, that may only mean one wire running to one power point in a village, mm. but nevertheless, the electricity is claimed to be there. The final element to electrifying India at the moment, and I mean, Modi is a, another one of the things, it seems to me, in his favor. He's a climate change believer, and he's a great advocate of um, solar power. So there are huge solar plants being built and encouraged. Mm. Um, the problem with the current electrification program is that it's heavily dependent on coal, and Indian coal is uh, cheap and even nastier to burn than high-quality coal. Clean coal. Uh, clean, so, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of power plants have gone in in the last 15 years, uh, coal-fired power plants, but that contributes to the terrible pollution that a city like Delhi, Delhi is experiencing. Delhi, I'm told, and I haven't been in Delhi for nearly two years, but Delhi now has almost totally reliable 24-hour power all through the city, yeah. even in summer. Now, if that's the case, there's an awful lot of coal-fired power going into that electrification sure. and that helps to explain the heavy layer of muck that sits in uh, over Delhi particularly mm. in the winter when the inversion layers make the air more difficult to blow away mm. a long way to go but of course there's a long way to go but yeah. doing a lot you know uh, high speed trains bridges over the Brahmaputra lots of power plants going on there we've got electrification yeah. there's a big statue he came yeah. through with that promise so <laughs> yeah yeah if you were running the campaign for next year's national election you would say india has momentum a, ah, a sense of momentum yes, that yes. It's, it hasn't had before and certainly there was no sense of momentum under the congress government in its uh, declining years prior mm. to 2014 now modi the, he seems to be a very very energetic man driven by this uh, sense of doing great things for a particular kind of country that he both believes in and is trying to create. And people like that are immensely useful, but of course, they're also immensely dangerous, depending on where those beliefs take them. Mm -hmm. The final thing that I, I want to uh, bring up is how Modi's doing on the international stage and how his reputation is overseas. So he's made more than 80 international visits in his four years which is an amazing amount of time overseas. Uh, he's been photographed probably hugging every world leader who will get within arm's length. Yeah. But at the same time, the diplomatic corps is very undermanned in India. How do you see Modi is doing on the international stage? Is he increasing the, the visibility of India and uh, international respect of India? Is he doing a good job there? I think internationally he's doing what he's trying to do at home, which is to give a, a version of a great India again. And he's letting the world know that there's a, a dynamic, in his view, there's a dynamic India being reborn. Mm. I think that might be the way uh, people would state the case on behalf of Modi. He's also, when he goes abroad, he's playing consciously to the non-resident Indian population and 
people of Indian origin overseas who probably number 25 million or more mm. in various countries ranging from South America to South Africa to Australia and of course the United States, the UK and Europe. Now that's an audience that have always appreciated him because I think it's an audience that's heavily cast Hindu coming from the sorts of caste backgrounds that uh, have been very much Modi's constituency and the constituency that he envisages as providing the model for what a good India and a great India could be. They have the same values, the vegetarianism, the homogenized Hinduism. He certainly enjoys being with that kind of audience and of course they adore him. There's an audience that he enjoys playing to but he also enjoys demonstrating I think and this is where the diplomacy comes in. He enjoys demonstrating to the countries in which those people are resident, that they are a powerful force in that country and that their native place or their or place of origin, India, means something to them. That's part of the reason for the travel. Mm. And uh, this notion that we're going to tell the rest of the world that India is great again. Mm. Modi himself is on, on the international stage. Is he, is he respected for his efforts? Do, does the world seem to think that he's doing a, a good job? Or I don't know. It, I think it would depend a little on who one was talking to. I think what would be interesting would be, um, and there may be polling on this, to get a sense of what Canadians or Brits or Americans or Australians, how many can name the Prime Minister of India today? Yeah, um, true, yeah. Uh, and do they have any view, you know, do you think the Prime Minister of India is doing a good job would be a funny question to ask. And you'd probably get a question of where's India? I don't think India has made a mark in international relations in the last four years. It's had enough to go on simply trying to manage the China relationship, as the whole of Asia does. Everybody mm. has to try to manage this new China relationship. And India always has this kind of sore on its northwestern flank of Pakistan, a Pakistan that doesn't seem to have any single ruler. It has an army, it has a secret service, it has a political class. But just who's in charge at any moment in Pakistan, I don't think even Imran Khan uh, often knows for sure. Mm. Modi, of course, has come up with the notion that we're going to be muscular, but we're going to be always ready to talk. Mm. Part of the great strength of the Modi government has been its PR campaigns, that an awful lot of money goes into public relations and in media management. It sounds like Archidin is on a good track, that Modi is bringing good days to India, but there's a slight asterisk at the end of that sentence uh, around whose good days he is bringing to India as well. I think the Modi government has been quite successful in giving an impression of momentum and an impression of being in control, two things that are important for any government looking at uh, re-election. Mm. Uh, the achievements, such as they are, will be known in the next two or three or four years. For example, the demonetization, both a media event, but also a huge economic event, was not a success. I think that's widely agreed now. It, it set back the economy. There's speculation. It may have alienated some of the real constituents of the BJP who would have been the small shopkeeper class of North India, mm. which long ago was regarded as one of the stalwart backers of the old Jansang, the forerunner as a political party of the BJP. So uh, the demonetization probably set back economic development by one or even two percent for about 
at least two quarters, three quarters of the year, hampered agriculture because uh, cash wasn't available at particular key moments. But in uh, media terms, it was portrayed as having uh, had a whole lot of benefits, shock therapy and so on. So I think the Modi government has been very successful in media terms. It's also been ambitious. I don't think one can fault it for ambition, like the health scheme, like the electrification scheme, like the Clean India scheme. These are all big, big ambitious projects, and they've been trumpeted and broadcast in ways that had not been possible before, and also not as great because governments didn't have this uh, imagination that Modi has had for the ways in which one of his great strengths is uh, a willingness to listen to what the best new media techniques are for reaching large numbers of people. Under Modi, the, uh, the BJP will never be behindhand in discovering the best ways of trying to reach people, mm. the most effective ways. So they've been very good at the media campaign. They've been very ambitious. Um, and critics, uh, people who don't admire a lot of what's going on, will say, yes, but they are doing this at the cost of what really holds India together, which is its diversity and it's a beginning, its ability to accommodate uh, a wide range of languages, of religions, of castes and different kinds of practices um, around the country. And that's been the great strength of the country up till now, to try to homogenize this, to try to mix it all into a kind of uh, cake mix in which there are no nuts and berries, uh, no crunchy chocolate chips. That's not going to work. It's this a very boring cake. And fruit cake, you know, with <laughs> nuts and cherries <laughs> and every kind of dried fruit you can imagine inside a batter that holds it together. And uh, Modi's trying to make a, a Hindu... Modi has a nut allergy. A Hindu angel... <laughs> Uh, angel food cake, you know, yeah. one of those cakes that's made without any eggs, and it's really just white egg matter mixed up. I don't think that's the sort of cake India can ever be, but it can be a much better fruit cake than it's been in the past. There's no doubt of that, a, a fruit cake in which all the elements enjoy some sort of material prosperity. I think the cake metaphor begins I, I, to break I, I down. I think at you that should part. stop it there before yeah, you yeah, yeah, <laughs> You've been listening to India Rising a podcast from La Trobe Asia and the Australia-India Institute. It featured Robin Jeffrey, and I'm Matt Smith, your host and producer. This has been a podcast from La Trobe University. Thanks for listening.